Let me ask you, did you think of going to a Canadian school at all? I did. Uh, and Felicity and I were uh, living uh, in the same city, I think, uh, at, while we were applying to law schools and we were certainly seeing each other every weekend for Quidditch practice. Um, uh, I was trying desperately to get Aaron to go to Osgoode. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we were going to be roommates. It was going to be a whole thing. And then I broke her heart and I moved to Boston instead. <laughs> Welcome to What's Law Got to Do With It, a lighthearted look at life in law school. I'm Professor Richard Haig. I'm 3L law student Felicity Rodin. Felicity, how are things today? Things are great, Richard. Yeah. Living the dream. You are living the dream. How's your Adam cadence coming, do you think? I thought that was pretty good, I gotta say. It's, it's feeling a little bit more like a Felicity cadence now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's a, there's there's elements of Adam, but now you've got your own little spin on it. That's, there you go. that's good. That's really good. Uh, and I, I, you know what, I Felicity, I can't even. I I don't prepare. I don't think of the question I'm supposed to ask you each time. So After I, years of making fun of Adam for not doing his readings and not preparing, the turntables have tabled. <laughs> or the. <laughs> You know, that's a that's a butchering of the tables of turn. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to leave you off the hook because I don't. Yeah, it will be a bad question. I'd rather not ask a bad question. So I would like for you to also do that in future exams. Just leave people off the hook. Okay. You don't have to answer a question. I promise if you ever have another course from me, I'll do that. All right. Uh, um, then I guess we should introduce our guest. Yes, I'll let um, you I'll let you do the introductions and we'll explain why in a minute. Okay, dear listeners, uh, not only have I brought you an interesting law student today, but also a Team Canada athlete. Um, not a, a particularly uh, high level sport, but we'll, we'll get there. So uh, here we have Erin McCready. I'll let her introduce herself. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm excited to be here. Big fan of the podcast. She's lying. <laughs> I'm sure I will be a big fan of the podcast. Erin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Erin McCready. I am originally from London, Ontario, uh, but I'm currently a 3L at Northeastern University School of Law in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, Felicity, sorry, Richard, you I want, you were... you want me to... Oh. <laughs> I thought you were... You looked like you were getting ready to no. talk, and we, we're bad at cutting each other off, yeah. so I was trying to avoid it. And... It's part of the Zoom thing, but we're... Uh, yeah, you're you're, this is the first time for you, so I'll accept some flaws in your... In your okay. <laughs> uh, do you want to ask the second question, or you want me to start? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Now that... Uh... You've pointed out all my flaws. I guess I should rectify them. Erin, um, as you know, despite not being a longtime podcast listener, um, the next and most important question we have for you is, uh, what is your favorite law-related movie or TV show? Uh, it's got to be Legally Blonde, for sure. <laughs> Ms. Woods, you did well today. Really? You're applying for my internship, aren't you? I don't know. They should. Do you have a resume? Yes, I do. Um... Here it is. It's pink. Oh, and it's scented. I think it gives it a little something extra, don't you think? 
she was ready. That was she locked and loaded. All right. So now, Aaron, I'm jumping in here. Why? <laughs> um, I think it like holds a special place in my heart because the night before I wrote the LSAT, uh, I watched that. I had been going through a whole bunch of articles about like how to de-stress before the LSAT. And that was one of the like top recommendations was specifically to watch Legally Blonde. Oh, and, di- and did it? Did it help? I mean, here I am. I'm a 3L, so I guess it worked. <laughs> so go ahead. Anyone listen. studying for the LSAT at this moment, you can put down your pens, stop studying. All you have to do is watch Legally Blonde the night before, and you should be just fine. Yeah, nothing else that happens in the time leading up to it's important. All that Legally Blonde the night before. <laughs> That's right. I like that. I didn't. I didn't know. I. I you think it though? Is is it Legally Blonde per se? in particular or could it be any movie that would help so everything everything i've heard because i had i heard similar advice and it was um just don't try and study the day before because you don't want to exhaust yourself so like go to a movie do something dumb yes take a break that's actually a good piece of advice before not just the lsat before any exam i'd say right anyway so aaron as as felicity introduced you you're uh well and as you said you're at you are a very special guest i always say guests are all special but you're very special because you are the first guest we've had who is attending a law school outside of canada and we need that's why you're on the show we want to talk to you about that so tell us first of all you you're canadian but you ended up there uh is, um, I, I don't even know, but I, my guess is, is it due to the sports that Felicity <laughs> introduced you? <laughs> or no, uh, some other reason? Explain, no, please. No, no. So, Explain yourself. Yes. Um, I guess uh, there's two parts of that question. The I'll start with the first part that I don't know if it's actually relevant, uh, but the sports that Felicity was referring to. Uh, Felicity and I met uh six or seven years ago i think uh because we were both in undergrad at the university of ottawa um and we convinced felicity to join the university of ottawa quidditch team uh, that i was the club president of at the time uh and i have since convinced felicity to join a number of quidditch teams that i've coached or managed uh over the the subsequent seven years or so Um, And I am an athlete with the national team for Canada uh, for Quidditch, which is currently not really happening at all (laughs) um, due to these unprecedented times. Uh, (laughs) But we're hoping to get back out on the field soon and always hoping to drag Felicity back into playing as well. (laughs) Uh, Well, that it all comes together because uh, Felicity has mentioned on the podcast that she does play Quidditch, but I didn't know it was the connection was you. And I assume that you did not get a varsity scholarship then to go to Northeastern. No, no, unfortunately not. Um, So I ended up at Northeastern um, because kind of a few different reasons. Uh, One of them is just that I've always really liked the city of Boston. And I figured uh, when I was deciding to go back to law school, I figured I'm in my mid twenties and these are kind of some of the last years that I'll be able to just move to a city because I think it's cool and live there for a few <laughs> years without it really affecting anyone else's life. 
Um, so I had sort of started to look into programs there and looking at sort of what the accreditation process would look like if I wanted to go to school in the States and eventually come back to Canada and practice law in one of the provinces. Um, and that process seemed more manageable than I thought that it might be. And I guess I'll find out in the next few years if that's actually the case. <laughs> um, we'll have you back in a couple of years and find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, but then I also really just fell in love with Northeastern as a school. Um, it wasn't a program that I was familiar with um, before I sort of started looking into it. Um, but it's a school with a really deep commitment to public interest law and social justice lawyering um, throughout the sort of entire school environment. It's not that you can sort of get on a public interest track and that's what you do, um, but sort of regardless of the area of law that you're in, you're learning critical race theory and sort of social justice lawyering movements. Um, and we've got some really incredible professors with long careers in that area. Um, and then it's also a school that has a co-op program in law school. Um, so I'm actually a couple weeks away from going out on my fourth co-op term. Um, so you get about a full year of uh, work experience in different areas. And you kind of get to like test the waters in uh, sort of different practice areas and see where you might want to end up after school. A bit like an, the engineering faculties have done that in a lot of places. Is that a mandatory requirement, the co-op? Uh, it is, yeah. So as part of your uh, law degree at Northeastern, you have um, a year of different uh, co-op experiences, either in uh, three four-month periods or four three-month ones. So I wonder, for our listeners who won't know, because this is sort of the, the podcasts come out a little later than we record them, we're right at the beginning of October now. So that timing just seems weird to me, like to start a placement halfway through October. So how does that, like, how does your semesters work? How does that look? Sure, yeah. So we're on a quarter system, or my year is on a quarter system. The school is uh, adjusting their calendar to sort of fit better with the normal three semester system that a lot of schools have, um, just to make it easier for professors to teach across faculties. Um, but the way that my sort of school process has gone is I had the standard two semesters of 1L. Um, and then after 1L finished, we switched over to a quarter system. So I am working in the summer and winter, and I'm in school in the fall and spring. Uh, so this particular quarter, I started the last week of August, and I'll be in school till about American Thanksgiving, so mid-November. Uh, and then I work from November to February, and then I'm back in school to finish up my last set of classes. Ah, and do they do they find the placements for you, or do you have to apply yourself and win win the position? Um, there's a mix of both. Uh, so we've got a really fabulous co-op office uh, that sort of collects employers who you can apply to through the co-op office. Um, but if you want to work in a particular geographic area or subject area where they don't have sort of as strong of the connections, you can also go out and seek your own jobs and develop your own co-op that way. Okay. Um, so a lot of our employers are uh, Northeastern or NUSL, as we call the short form, uh, they're NUSL alum, uh, who then bring students in to work with them after they've graduated and started practicing on their own. Uh. So I think a, it's almost worth going to Northeastern just so that you can call your school Newsel. That sounds fun. It's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> we just have Oz. That's what we are. It's not not quite the same, I don't think. 
So I, I, as a lowly professor, I won't know this, but um, Felicity, you might, but do are, are there any Canadian law schools that have co-op programs like that? I don't think so. Not, not as far as I know, no. nothing that integrated into the program at least. Yeah. I mean, obviously we have lots of intensive and clinical programs, but it's not a mandatory, OPER is the only kind of th- <laughs> mandatory requirement at Osgood and not many schools have that requirement, which is that you have to do 40 hours of public uh publicly related law somewhere but that's really interesting so let me ask you did you think of going to a canadian school at all or was it uh... i did uh, and felicity and i were uh living uh in the same city i think uh at while we were applying to law schools and we were certainly seeing each other every weekend for quidditch practice um <laughs> So we would uh, sort of chat about uh, the whole application process and what schools we might want to go to. Um, and I was I, considering. <laughs> I was uh, trying desperately to get Aaron to go to Osgood. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. we were going to be roommates. It was going to be a whole thing. And then I broke her heart and I moved to Boston <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, you stayed friends, though. That's good. Right? Mm-hmm. Are there any other Canadians there? In your year, let's say, or even in earlier years? Um, I don't believe that there are any others in my year. If they, if there are, I haven't found them, which would be weird at this point. Um, but there are sort of one or two Canadians that I'll kind of stumble across in each year while I'm sort of TAing classes. Um, and it's always really fun to meet them and triangulate whether we know some of the same Canadians, which of course we always do. Um, <laughs> There are so and, few of us. You know. I know. And one thing that I've become really good at in the past two and a bit years of living in Boston is I can pick out an Ontario accent so fast. Um, so I managed to uh, figure out that two of my professors were from the southwestern Ontario area just by hearing them say, in this class, we're going to talk about, it's like, that one's mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. You, you, you gained that skill by being there. You would never probably have known. If you, if you moved to Manitoba, I don't know if you'd been mm-hmm. able to make that same decision or determination would you <laughs> i have to say i'm not sure how useful that life skill is yeah. going to be for you in future but i'm, I'm happy for you <laughs> you know what you know some of the skills you learn in law school aren't going to go with you when you leave and that's okay <laughs> <laughs> a very good point so the uh, you know across canada there's a pretty standard curriculum in law school at least in terms of the basic courses uh, I assume it's somewhat similar in the states, right? Do you, you have to? What are some of the courses that you have to take? We can compare that with a typical Canadian curriculum. Sure. Um, so I think uh, at least at Northeastern, your one L classes are all mandatory. You don't have sort of any say in what your schedule looks like. Um, so in one L, in the first semester, I took civil procedure, torts, and property. Uh, and in the second semester, I took uh, contracts, criminal law, and constitutional law, which was terrifying. There's so much American history involved in it. I never learned any of it before I got there. <laughs> yeah, I, it would be wild. Yes, yes. Well, because I uh, so that's my area that I teach is constitutional law, and I always say it's a it's as much history as it is law. And so you're absolutely right, though. You have to kind of you would have to learn both, whereas the American students would be fully versed well, for the most part, in the history, right? 
Yeah, and even even if they weren't sort of fully versed, it was at least vaguely familiar to them. Uh, whereas for me, I knew everything that had happened recently enough that like I personally had heard about it, and I knew everything that happened in the plot of Hamilton. But there's a lot in the middle. <laughs> yeah, there's. That's all you need to know. <laughs> what? There's so much in the middle. <laughs> uh... So I think that would be I. Constitutional law feels like it would be the part of law school where you would have the biggest like culture shock um, of going to because I feel like Boston and it's not that different in a lot of ways, but I think that that con law would be the one area where that would really kind of rear its head. (laughs) Is that that what you experienced? Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, uh, going to school in Boston and going to a very social interest focused, uh, social justice focused uh, school in Boston, I think there were there are a lot of places in the United States where I could go to school where I would feel like I was in a different country much more than I do uh, when I'm at Newsel. Uh But constitutional law certainly it took me down a lot of sort of just like curiosity rabbit holes while I was doing my reading because in every sort of moment in US history or like time that they were grappling with a particular issue, I sort of got on the internet and started thinking like, oh, like when did this come up in Canada and how is it different? And like, how did this movement happen? So the reading took me long to begin with. And then I just sort of went down my own rabbit holes as well. So it was a brutal semester. <laughs> I can imagine. And yet I, 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 I forgive me if I'm belittling this, but wouldn't that be the most useless course that you take? If a planning, if you plan to move back to Canada, knowing about U.S. constitutional law is not necessarily going to help you, but everything else would contracts, property, torts, criminal, well, criminal again, slightly different, but at least there's some of the same mental and uh, physical elements, right? I can't think of how constitutional law from the U.S. would help, but maybe you can tell us, tell listeners here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with you to a certain extent. And I mean, I also left constitutional law with a, a deep respect for people who work in constitutional law and with the knowledge that that is not the path that I see myself going down. Um, <laughs> But it's been it's been an interesting time to be living in the U.S. with a, a good handle on how the Constitution works and what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, and particularly being able to read and understand what's going on in the Supreme Court right now has been very interesting. Uh, so in terms of uh, practice moving back to Canada, it's probably not going to be something that I pull out of my pocket every day. Uh, but in terms of being a person alive in these times, I think it's good information to know. Well, yeah. And in fact, I actually posted uh, when I last taught constitutional law, I posted the podcast, which I'm sure you're aware of, which is what Trump can teach us about constitutional law. Do you know that podcast? I haven't actually listened oh, to that Oh, well, it, it, you should. It's a good one. It is a, it is a very interesting podcast. And there's no way that I could do a, you know, what Trudeau can teach us about constitutional law in Canada. It just doesn't have the same effect. Basically, the, the, the theme of that podcast is that Trump is abusing the Constitution virtually every week, every day. And so the, uh, there's, it's a, uh, a university, of, I think it's Berkeley prof, who talks about how, <laughs> how he's dealing with the U.S. Constitution. It's very interesting. Uh, she is, yeah. And then so, Roman Mars is like the co-host, so yeah. he's not a lawyer. Um, so it's quite interesting. It's a, it's a well-produced he, podcast. Yeah he, yeah, he pretends he's the student, just like yeah. 
So that, yes, uh, and I, I, I was being a bit facetious, obviously, I think because many law, Canadian law schools have a course on U.S. constitutional law, so you can learn that here, but it, uh, I'm sure it's very different learning it in situ, where it, we're actually at a university who's, you know, that's, that's based in the state. I was going to say, if constitutional law is not tickling your fancy, um, what do you see yourself still coming back to Canada? And if so, or I guess if not, also, to have you kind of wrapped your head around what you're going to be when you grow up? Oh, isn't that the halfway through 3L big question? <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. just me. Okay. Okay. No, that's, that <laughs> dread is everywhere. Um, yeah. And I think that's, again, one of the big difference, or I don't really know how big of a difference it is, but um, so in the U.S., there's no articling period. Um, so right now I'm looking for jobs that I'm going to go into as like, my career as a like capital L lawyer. Um, and it's been interesting sort of trying to figure out, I, I do think that at some point I do want to move back to Canada, but especially just in sort of like everything that's going on here right now, sort of every day and every week that we see new strange things being done to the constitution in the US, I have this sort of simultaneously simultaneous urge of like, well, now seems like a good time to get on the other side of that border. Um, while also sort of having the feeling that the type of law that I'm really interested in doing is protecting those folks who are vulnerable to these wild swings that are happening in the US. So the more that I feel like I should move home, the more that I also feel like I should be doing something here. Um, so it's definitely a strange feeling kind of pulled in two directions. Um, but to answer your, what do I want to be when I grow up <laughs> question, I think right now I would really love to work, uh, in a medical legal partnership. I've done a couple of my co-ops in that area. Um, and I think that it is a really cool model and also something that could work in a socialized medicine system, but is especially important here. Um, where lawyers are working with case managers and uh, medical professionals to help their patients remain in care and take care of any sort of like legal problems that are affecting that. So I've had a chance to do um, housing security work, disability benefits, social security, um, and sort of using the medical and legal professions that are very much sort of silos on their own and trying to bridge those gaps and come up with comprehensive solutions for whole people instead of just their medical problems and their legal problems. Oh, that's very impressive. I, it's funny that I was just talking the other day about the need to connect law and medicine and other professions, frankly, because we were, I, I was, you know, I, without getting into too much detail, I was talking to students about uh, their various concerns in poverty law, particularly where you, you get clients who really have much, much bigger problems than just legal ones and how we typically silo ourselves. So the law firms just deal with law and they, why don't they have doctors in, and lawyers in, in a single firm? So that's very interesting. Um, we are at I a, to, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, Felicia, we're gonna say we're, we're at time, but no, we can, we can, we can go one more. Oh. Look at me just ruining it. I was going to just say, I think you're, you're in the perfect spot for yourself then, because I feel like that would be something that, though it could exist in Canada, I, the, the, both the medical system is different, but also just the size of the cities. And like that seems like the kind of practice that would be super cool to start building in the States and then find a way to translate if and when you do move home. 
Yeah, and it's definitely, it wasn't something that I knew existed until I was out on my first co-op and I was working with a housing stability clinic and we had a a client referred over from their medical legal partnership. And I had never heard of what a medical legal partnership is and it just made so much sense to me. So, I mean, I'm not aware of them existing in Canada, but I think that it's a great idea, so. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to we're going to revolutionize Canadian society by recommending on this podcast that that occur. So thanks to Aaron for the ad- advice. If anyone would like to hire me to work in a Canadian medical legal, <laughs> please. Uh, well, I would, but I <laughs> I have no pull. So and you don't want to be a constitutional lawyer, Aaron. So yeah, it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Compatible. <laughs> On that happy note, Felicity, you get to you get to sign off as well. Since oh, so much, so much giving over of responsibilities yes. today, Richard. Yes. Well, we will say then uh, for any listeners who are thinking about or interested in uh, exploring other places for law school, I hope that this was helpful. And thank you so much, Aaron, for taking the time to tell us about your experience. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you, Aaron. <laughs>